Praise the Lord, and welcome to the Rock City Church Podcast with Senior Pastor Bishop Bart Pierce in Baltimore, Maryland. We pray this message strengthens and encourages you to be all that God has called you to be. So let's dive into God's Word. Look to the left of you and say, it's about to be a great word. Now look to the right of you and say, you're about to hear a great word. Now look to the left again and say, get ready. And then look this way. Put your hands together, y'all, and give it up for Bishop Pierce. Hallelujah. Well, God bless you, saints. Now, there's a lot of breaking up. There's a lot of delay. Let's see if it'll settle out. Okay. All right. You're completely frozen. (laughs) All right. Now there's a little motion there. Can you hear me? Okay, why don't you be seated? We're working on a technical end on my end here, see if we can't get a better signal. Uh, I'm going to tomorrow, see if I can't get something done, but we're working on it. Internet goes down here for a week, two weeks. Nobody even, you know, cares. Those of you there would be in sheer panic. I mean, you'd be a mess. But anyway, you learn to kind of flow with it. It's called island life. So you have to be a little bit laid back, which I'm not. Amen. Well, let's get in the word tonight. Now, I want to try, you know, with all this delay and all this stuff that's going on, I want to try and and bring the word tonight to take you into a new area. Um, We're still dealing with the subject of it's time to build uh, with all the correct materials. We're rebuilding our lives and uh, we're taking this opportunity from the COVID and all the shaking and all the stuff that's going on. Uh, We're taking an opportunity to look at our past and embrace the present and have faith for the future. And so these three areas are very, very important as we approach God and we daily walk with the Lord. We're learning so many things. And one of the things we have to do is we have to look back, not behind the cross, but to the cross, And we have to look at our lives and just really ask the question, what have I built with? What kind of materials have I built with? And what, you know, have I really put in my life, in my house for God to habitate? And that's really the ultimate plan, the ultimate hope 
is that we build something where God is welcomed. We build a house where God is welcomed and he comes and he dwells and he lives with us and he walks with us and he habitates with us and within us. And so that's really important. I mean, it's a real important piece. And uh, we've been talking about this for several weeks now. And one of the things that I want to remind you, the Bible says that in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15 through 17, for your works shall be rewarded, says the Lord. Amen. And, uh, and, and make sure you get the right verse there now, okay? And uh, your works shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. And there is a hope in our uh, future, in your future, my future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. And I really embrace that scripture that, there, that Jeremiah is saying there is that there, we're going to be rewarded for our works. And that's important. And so that led me to this. I'm going to talk to you tonight about the promises of God. I mentioned it last Thursday night. I want to talk to you about the promises of God. And there's an interesting principle about the promises of God beside the fact that the promises of God are yea and amen. The promises of God are yea and amen. In other words, yes. The promises of God always end up in yes. <laughs> but there's a key word that's almost like an oxymoron. There's a promise, but the word wait. The word wait is a word we don't like. It's a word we don't like to do. We go to our fast food restaurants and we are totally bummed out if they take more than like five minutes or something. And yet it's as fast as you can make it. And, and, and But the word wait there is so important. And we're going to look at something. While the promises of God are coming and why they are absolutely true and yes, there's three words. There are three words. Where do we wait? How do we wait? And why do we wait? So I'm going to give you that in a minute. I'll get to it in a few minutes. Uh, but I want you to write that down or take that down in your heart, especially with all the uh, difficulty with this uh, signal. In case I miss something, I'll have given you really the meat of what we're going to talk about. And that is this key word, wait. And I'm going to talk to you about what Jesus said. And we're learning three words. Where do we wait? How do we wait? And why do we have to wait? Think about this. Here's a, here's a sample. Think about the fact that it was 25 years from the time uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah heard that they would have a child, there would be a promise. 25 years. And, and why did they have to wait 25 years till they were 99? Why did they have to wait 25 years for the promise? And many, 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 many examples of that in scripture. And that'll be important for you to grasp to say why, when God promises me something, why is it I have to wait? Why do I have to wait? And where do I wait? Amen. And how? How do I have the grace to wait? I'll show you in a few minutes. But let's do this. Let's get, uh, 
a little reminder and remember now, Jeremiah said that we are rewarded for the works that we do. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 through 15. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord God of peace, <laughs> thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. See, that, that, that's again a promise. That's a promise of God. That's what God is saying. I promise you this. Remember, God is not a man that he can lie. So God is not going to give you a promise that he cannot fulfill. He will fulfill his promises. And we need to know that. But there's some pieces around it that will help us understand why and where and how long and all of that. So we'll put all that together in a few minutes here. But I want to get you started by understanding that we have reward systems in heaven. That's the promises that we're going to... Paul said, when we get to heaven, there's a crown laid up for each of us. So when we go to heaven, there's a crown. That's a promise. And some of the promises of God are like, um, they are unremoved. They're non-removable. They're not uh, able to be changed. You can't change some of the promises of God. And I'll tell you, like gravity, you can't change that. Gravity is a promise. And that is an absolute. So there are promises of God that cannot be altered, and they will not be altered. His return is an absolute promise, but it will it will come. When it comes, uh, uh, we don't know, but we know he said he would return, and he will return. And indicators are that we're close today. Now, in the process, I started this whole thing after I came back in November from a conference in Dallas, Texas, and uh, I, I was there teaching and speaking, and really, I became aware of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 through 17. I'm not going to read it all, but it says that we are God's fellow workers. There it is on the screen. We are, God's, <clears throat> we are God's field. You are God's building, it says. Come on. According to the grace of God was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. And here's the key. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. So each one of us needs to really, really focus on how we're building uh, this habitation for God. We're going to have to make sure we have plenty of prayer in this house. <clears throat> we're going to have to make sure that we have plenty of, uh, of worship in this house. So these things are going to be essential for our building of a house that God can habitate. Amen. That God can come and occupy. It's so important. All right. Now, uh, the scripture tells us, and, and Paul referred to himself as a wise master builder, and I believe that God is raising up men like Apostle Paul, and uh, I believe that there are men today on the earth that are wise master builders, and uh, my background is building, and I want to be in the spirit a master builder. I want to learn in the spirit how to be a master builder. And uh, because I want to build uh, 
for the glory of God. I want to build the kingdom of God. I want to build your life, and I want to build people's lives up in the most holy faith. I had a funny little thing happen the other day while I was here. Uh, I went by to look for an item in a little store. You, you'd have to see one of these stores to even imagine. If you took one part of one shelf of a Walmart and put it in a cube, that's a store. One shelf of one cube of a little square box, and it is packed. Takes you forever to find anything because they got stuff on top of stuff. And I was in there looking, and this, this lady was helping me, sweet as she could be. And every store, I went into four stores, every store had the gospel being preached and people singing to the glory of God. Every single store I went to. And I went in this one store and there was a guy there, big old guy that I know, and he, he works and he does bug spray. And so I have talked to him. He's been out at my house and I know him. And so we, we did the fist thing, you know, and we greeted one another. And I said, man, I, I'm, I'm glad to be here today. And uh, thank you, and thank you for helping me. You know, I found my piece and uh, that I was looking for. And so as I was talking, uh, the, the fellow said, well, you know, uh, he said, Pastor, whenever you come in here, you come into any of these stores, something happens. You bring something with you. Boy, I, did, I didn't act like it, but I just wanted to bust I went, wow, that's what you want. You want to be able to know that when you go somewhere, you bring God's presence. You bring something uh, with you when you go wherever, shopping, uh, a restaurant, uh, or wherever you go, you want to bring God's presence when you go there. Now, Revelation 22, 12 says, the inspector's coming quickly and he has the occupancy permit with him. His reward will be well done, that good and faithful servant, according to what he has done. That's the key now. It's according to what you've done. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. And so I encourage you to be mindful. And then Hebrews chapter uh, three, verse six. But Christ was faithful as a son over his own house, whose house we are. Look at that. Whose house we are. So I just want to encourage you. We are the house of God. Yes, you're in a building called the house of God, but you are. The difference between a house and a home is you. There's a house that you live in, but when you get in there, it's now become a home. My wife, of course, all these years, has made our home, uh, our house always made it a home. And she's made it a home because of all the little things she does and all the little special things that are sitting around and all that care that she gives to make our house a home. And you and I need to get to that. We need to build a, a home for God, a habitation for God, not just a Christian life, but a Christian home. And so I encourage you to think that way. And Isaiah 6, 
See, verse 7, I will glorify my glory. Isaiah 62, 7. His house will be a praise on the earth. His house will be a praise on the earth. And I just thank God. He said Jerusalem would be a praise on the earth. Our house, where God puts his name, will be a praise on the earth. Amen. And so as we look at these things <clears throat> and we realize that God is, is building something that he can come and dwell in, then, then it's important that we remember a couple of more things. If you remember a few weeks ago, I was talking about God restoring his house, and it's a place where everyone knows your name from the uh, TV series called Cheers, uh, the little TV show. Uh, it's, it's, we're a place where everybody knows your name. I believe the celebration attitude that God is trying to bring into our church that'll happen uh, uh, actually coming up and you'll have that uh, wonderful dinner on that Sunday and you'll have an opportunity to come together and celebrate and really just enjoy one another, enjoy one another's company, enjoy one another's uh, uh, stories and testimony. It's imperative that we get this because this is what makes the church the effective church that it can be. That's why I had several testify how God is blessed. Uh, I know with uh, Daniel uh, and Stephanie's new little girl uh, that, that there'll be those of you that have taken food already and you've gone by and you've visited, you've done something, maybe sent out a call or a text or something and, 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 and they're rejoicing. And I know that others, uh, when uh, uh, Cindy uh, was given a new car recently, hallelujah, that's, that's a body love. That's a body of witnessing the goodness of God. And that really is what the church has to get focused on. We're only going to be as effective as we are uh, in our own relationships. We cannot be effective in the city of Baltimore. I'm bringing the pastors back together for peace for the city. And uh, we're going to meet uh, coming up the 1st of March. And so I'm excited about that. But I, I got to tell you, none of that will really, really have an effect if you and I, as a body in Christ, can't begin to relate and become personal in our relationships. So it takes love. It takes grace and mercy. But it takes time and effort for us to be able to do do that. And I'm going to tell you more about that in just a minute. Now, in the fact that we are a people that we should get to know one another and all that relationship, I, I also make the statement, uh, when you're through changing, you're actually through. When you stop changing, you're done. And I encourage you, I encourage you to never, ever stop learning become a learner don't say i've learned i've learned that means you're frozen that means you've stopped you want to be a learner you want to continue to learn and you want to learn all that you can learn about yourself about god about your brother and sister in christ about the word about prayer you want to learn every day 
How do I walk with God? That's why Thursday nights is so valuable because it's a teaching time. And that's important. Hello? Can you wave at me once in a while? Okay. I can't hear you or anything, so whatever's going on on your end is blocked it from my end, so I don't get to hear you. But let me just know that you're moving. Sometimes you're so still, I don't know if you're asleep or if you're alive. Okay, Julie. Thank you. I see that you're alive there. Good. Okay. Now, how many of you understand God is teaching us some things through this word? Let's do this. Let's look at one more area. I wrote, I, I, I wrote down some thought the other night, and I shared about the truth of God should lead you to the God of truth. Amen. The truth of God should lead you to the God of truth. Amen. Amen. And we live in a period I call the epic. We live in an epic day an epic time. We live in an epic time, and I use that as like an acronym. I wrote the word E-P-I-C, and the word E is experiential. We need to be people. We've talked enough. We need to stop talking and do it. We need to start living this word. We need to stop talking about it, and we need to start doing this word. And you can see on the screen there, these different words. And then there's the word uh, uh, for the P is a participator or a participatory, all right? And that can't, you can count me in. I want to participate in what God is saying. Where in the world did we get the excuse that we can just step back and let everybody else do the work? Let everybody else be the laborer while we just step back and refuse to do anything. And we need to repent of that attitude because God wants to bring about an epic encounter with him. I mean, a life-changing encounter. And so we're gonna have to be people that say, enough talk, I'm gonna do it. And then we're gonna have to say, all right, I, I, I'm gonna get in this. I'm gonna commit myself to be a giver, to be a a servant to be a part of what God is doing. That's where you're going to get life, saints. That's where you're going to get life. The third word, I, in the word epic, is the word uh, icon, means driven. You have to draw the picture for me. Let me see it myself. I need an icon. I need to be able to see what you're saying. And we need to learn. Uh, we shared this story about Apple how they came out with all the uh, uh, icons that help people navigate through the computer. And uh, then uh, Windows came out later and uh, Windows with the IBM. And they came out and, and actually that's how you get to use the Mac and the Apple together because IBM can't speak Mac, but Mac can speak IBM. And that's because of the, uh, the uh, icons. And you know what? A generation now has built its whole world around 
these little icons, click on the icon, click on the icon. When you go places, there's an icon everywhere, airports everywhere. And it's become part of how we communicate. And so I need to say, you need to say, if we're going to have an epic experience in God, we need to be able to see, I need to see it myself. I need to see what you're saying. Amen. And a picture is worth a thousand words. And then the word see, connection. That connects me with whatever it is I'm trying to be connected to. I want to belong. We are living in a generation, a time where, where people really, really want to belong. They want to belong to something. That's why they get in gangs and they want to belong to something. And we need to know there's a generation out there that wants to belong. And we have to learn how to be the kind of church. And I gave you two words. We're going to either be uh, uh, natives or we're going to be immigrants. And actually, we'll be both of them at some time. We start off like immigrants, but we become natives. And I use the story of Joseph and Mary with baby Jesus or with Jesus, the young man at 10 years old. They took him to Jerusalem and he went into the temple. And, and we have the picture here spiritually looking at it. Mary and Joseph represented the, the, the uh, uh, natives and Jesus, I mean, I'm sorry, the immigrants and Jesus was the native. And we need to understand that. The native is that person who really believes and sees uh, and believes that there's something to be obtained uh, and wants to learn and wants to grow and wants to be active in every way. And uh, the uh, immigrant comes in, gets settled, and that's it. And we need to get this thing down. We need to get it right and be able to get it into our hearts. And we need to decide which are you going to be. Native, as the term applies, of those who've been in the church. And immigrants are those that are coming. And by contrast, immigrants come into a church and they try to understand the language of the congregation. I mean, you know, as an immigrant, you come in and, and you don't know how they worship. You don't know how they process. And you don't know how to figure it all out. And you've been a, you've been a, a, a native all your life as the term applies, those who have been in church, especially in a particular congregation, you've been a native all your life. You know the systems, you know the process. And how do you know we're gonna have to embrace those that wanna come in? How are you gonna embrace the culture that wants to come into the church? If we had a major revival that swept through America or through the world right now, who would these people come to? What church would they feel like they could would be welcomed in? We need to ask those questions. If we're going to be those that are natives, uh, that means that, you know, we've been around, we know everything. I've done it all. We've seen it all, got the T-shirt. We're going to have a hard time <clears throat> embracing the immigrants. And we need to see that. And I, I may have said it backwards a minute ago with Joseph and Mary because they were the natives and Jesus is the immigrant. We need to get that down right, that the immigrants coming in, can you embrace them? Can you embrace the immigrant? We're having a big issue in the southern border about immigrants. 
and and it's all twisted because it's true we should embrace immigrants our whole nation my parents grandparents all came from ireland and and immigrants are important but we must learn how to embrace them and we must get them in legally how do you know they can only come in through the blood of jesus And, and so we looked at that and we took time. The native is a slow decider. The immigrant is a fast decider. The native is threatened by change. And then the immigrant leads change. How many of you know in the days coming, you're gonna be tested. Please listen to me. You're gonna be tested about a lot of areas in your life. And testing is going to come in a, in, in a measure you've never thought possible. And as those tests come, one of the areas you're going to be tested in, are you threatened by change? Or do you like to be involved and lead in change? That's going to be a key decider for a lot of Christians. Some people, they will run away from God because they don't want change. Some people will leave the things of God. They've, they've served God for 25 years and they'll walk away because change is an assault to them. How many of you know that's a native who's been around, learned a lot, and thinks they got it figured out? And immigrants come in and say, hallelujah, let's change whatever we need to change. And then the native is yes, but, and the immigrant is yes and. Yes and. And then also, they, the native fights against chaos and instability, yet the immigrant lives right in the middle of chaos, uncertainty, instability. How many of you know God would have been considered an immigrant? Because when he came, the earth was without shape and without form and was in chaos. God likes chaos. You need to understand that. That's why all of us can make it in God because our life oftentimes is a, a picture of chaos. Especially if you got a little baby. You know that natives learn formally by words, but the immigrant learns by discovery, by doing it. The immigrant says, let me try it. Let me learn. That's how I learned how to run bulldozers and cranes. I got on them when I was a kid. I mean, uh, a young kid, 12, I was on a tractor so big I couldn't even reach the pedals, yet I loved it. I did wreck it, but I loved it. <laughs> My uncle came out and found me in a ditch. I had the tractor laying on his side, and he came in. He says, you all right? I said, yeah. I said, the tractor fell in the ditch. <laughs> he said, no, you drove it in the ditch. But I learned, I learned. How many of you understand my point tonight? Wave at me. You understand what I'm telling you? 
Now, the native deals with visual primarily through books, yet the immigrant's visual is through TV, media, uh, all the you know computer stuff and all the telephone stuff. That's how the immigrant learns and the church to embrace the immigrant has to change and present this picture so they can understand. And that's a key. For the church to grow, the natives have to adopt to the immigrants language and need rather than forcing immigrants to make changes just to fit in. We need to know that there is a language that we have to learn. I'm learning every day. I'm learning computer language. Boy, I'm learning a lot, trust me. And it's taxing my old brain. But it's okay because I don't want to be left where I can't reach everyone that I witness to. They're always younger than me. <laughs> it seems like that most, that's most everybody now. But as I witness on the plane or if I witness at a store and I've got to learn that I'm dealing as a native trying to reach an immigrant. How many of you know, if you were to live in Florida, like say Miami, how many of you know one of the things you'd need to change? You'd have to change your language. When you go down to Florida, you get on a plane, you go to a restaurant, everybody speaks Spanish. And you need to understand that to embrace a immigrant culture, you're going to have to learn how to communicate. If you say, well, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way our, our church has done it. Well, saints, let me tell you, there's a lot of people that want to come in and they want to come in and embrace what they feel. They feel the presence of God. They feel the glory of God and they want to embrace it. But you and I have to change and embrace that change for them to get affected by what God is doing. Amen. Now, let me, let me take you into tonight for a minute. Are you still here? Yeah. All right. I really, really am excited about what I'm about to teach you because this fits right into this whole thing. This is really uh, very important. This is very important. And, and I, I want you to catch this with me. I mentioned to you a minute ago when we first started about promises. We're talking about building a place for God to come and dwell in your life. And the promises of God are yea and amen, which we know. We'll get to that in a minute. But the promises of God are so important because we live in a culture today that seems like all the lies that are told by the politicians and by so many that it seems like people have lost faith in believing what somebody promises to do. We elect a president and they, they all promise everything. I promise our current president promised to eliminate COVID. Well, he didn't do that. How many of you know 
uh, Barack Obama, when he became president, he said that the oceans would stop rising. Well, he didn't do that either. And I can testify to you because I live right on the ocean and it ain't going nowhere. And how many of you know we live in a culture of empty promises? Can you agree with that? And how many of you know as a parent, you have to learn to keep your promises? As a husband or a wife, learn to keep your promises. We need to learn as believers, how do we keep our promises? That's one of the things in my little life in God, I've always tried to do if I could, was keep the promises of, of that I make. If I make a promise to do something, uh, I, I made a promise that one day we would build a building with nice seats and with uh, theater chairs and with, you know, all that. And there it is. And I enjoy living in the promises of God because God promises us every day he promises something new. And I'm going to read to you some promises, all right? And then I'll get to the fact that we have to learn how to wait on the promise. I know that's not exciting. That's why I'm going to read these promises to you first. I'm going to build your faith up. I'm going to build you up with great hope. And then I'm going to take a little pin and stick it right in the balloon. So just come with me. You'll have great hope by the end of the night, but I got to show you the process. Number one, look at this. Second Timothy, and I'm going to give you about 15, 18 scriptures real quick. And these scriptures are all promises. Actually, I have 25, but I'll never get to them. But there's over 28 to 30 promises of God in the New Testament. In the Bible, I took some from both old and new, but I want you to just listen. And maybe those that are up there on the uh, working the uh, electronics, maybe you could type just the verse down on the screen and we'll start a running list. That way everybody can take a, a, a look at it and get them down. And, and let me give them to you. Second Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8. There's laid up a crown of righteousness. That's what Paul said. We have a crown when I finish the race. I've kept the fight. I've kept the faith. And finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. God promises a crown. Amen. Jeremiah 29, 11. He said, I read it to you earlier, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a hope and to give you a future. How many you know that's promises? How many you know when the world says there is no hope? You need to go back to the book. You need to go back to the fact that God, your God, said, I'm going to give you a future. God's promises and his promises of eternal life. Listen to this. Here's, here's four or five just on the area of eternal life. Second Peter 1, 10 through 11. He says, an entrance will be supplied to you, God, everlasting, his everlasting kingdom. Now, <clears throat> you need to know, they're putting it on the screen, but I don't really care if you read it all, because I'm just highlighting it for you. 
John 3, 16, believe on him and you will not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. Hallelujah. That's a promise. John 11, 25 through 26. He who believes on me, though he may die, yet shall he live. Wow. You shall live. Even if you die, you're promised you're going to live forever. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, uh, 4, 14, sorry, 4, 14. He who raised up Jesus will also raise us up. How do you say, thank you, Lord? That's a great promise. You raised up Jesus, you're going to raise me up too. 1 John 2, 24 through 25. If we abide in him, this is the promise we have eternal life. I'm giving you these scriptures so that you can write them down or get them and listen to them again. Go home and download this program and listen to it so that every day you can have these and you can look at these and encourage yourself. These are the promises of God Almighty. Revelation 3, 5. Our name won't be blotted out of the book of life. Wow. I will not block out his name from the book of life. Aren't you excited that God said, I'm not going to let your name be blotted out of the book of life. Now, here's another area. God's promises for those who endure and overcome. So you would write this down. These are the promises for those uh, who will endure and overcome. You want to be an overcomer. Here's the first one. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 and verse 12. Okay? And I want you to hear this. It says, the testing of your faith, you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We are promised a crown of life to those that love him. He says that you're not going to lack anything. Come on. He says he gives us a crown of life in James. And you're not going to lack anything. God wants you to get rid of that spirit of lack and believe God's promises. If God promised you that you'll never lack, I don't care what the economy does. I don't care what they do with the food chain. I don't care what they do. You will never lack. First Peter 5.10. After you've suffered a while. Oh yeah, you will suffer. It says that he promised to perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Isn't that good? perfect you. He's going to perfect you. Wow. I can't even believe that miracle. I know some of you. That's going to be a major miracle. That was supposed to be a joke, but the screen went blank. All right. He's going to perfect you. He's going to establish you. 
Some of you need to be established in God. He's going to strengthen some of you that are weak. And then some of you that are anxious about everything, he's going to settle you down and let peace rule in your life. Amen. Second Corinthians 4, 17, 18. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory God has promised to you. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory God has promised to pour out on you. And so I don't care what the world pours out. I don't care about the weight the world tries to put on you. I'm telling you, God's word says he's going to pour out on you a far more exceedingly eternal weight of his glory. Now look, saints, the reason I'm giving you these scriptures is because if you will take this word and rehearse these scriptures, you will see a change come in your life. These scriptures, you need to begin to believe these scriptures. You need to hold on to these scriptures. You need to testify about these things. These are the promises of God. When man says it isn't going to work, you need to be that that says, God's word promised me this and that. Here's another area. God's promises of a transformation. Say, Father, thank you for transformation. 1 John 3, 2. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he revealed, we shall be like him. When he's revealed, we shall be like him. How do you know? You don't know. We don't know what we're going to be when we get to glory, when we get to heaven. I don't know what my assignment in heaven is going to be. I'm going to be busy, though. I'm going to be busy about my father's business. I'm not going to sit on some lily pad and sip, you know, heavenly orange juice. I'm going to go and rule and reign with Christ. Hallelujah. I don't want to sit around and polish my crown every day. 1 John 3, 2. It is not yet been revealed it says okay we're going to be like him colossians 3 3 and 4 you also will appear with him in glory hallelujah romans 8 29 he also predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son he has predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son in other words you're going to be like jesus Hallelujah. Now, 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4, by which he have been given to us, he's given to us an exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Wow. Look at that, saints. He's given you promises that you're going to be our partaker of 
of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust, God's going to cause you to take on his nature of holiness, righteousness, and walking in that as, as, a, as a child of God. That's a promise. That's not just hope. That's a promise. John 14, 2 and 3. 2 and 3. He says something here that's real important. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Wow. You're going to be where Jesus is. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. You're going to be in the very throne of God. Revelation 21, verse 4, and God will wipe away all your tears from your eyes. No more death, no more sorrow, no crying, no more pain. How do you hear that? It says the former things have passed away. Hallelujah. Revelation 2, 7, to him that overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life. Look, saints, I wish I had the time. You get to actually eat from the tree that we were told we couldn't eat from. Think about that. We were told in the beginning, Adam and Eve were told, don't eat from the tree of life. But now in Revelation, it says when you get to glory, the tree of life is at the temple of God. And when you get there, you can eat from the tree. Hallelujah. Revelation 21, 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. Now here's the last area of these promises. God promises that he will always be with you. Isaiah 41.10. I am with you. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Have you say, Lord, thank you. James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. But read the rest. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Draw near to God. Here's a promise. If you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. Wow. Deuteronomy 31, 8 is mixed with Hebrews 13 and 5. Those go together. Deuteronomy 31, 8. And Hebrews 13, 5, he will be with you. He will not leave you, nor will he forsake you. How do you understand that's the promise of God? That's the first promise God gave me when I got saved. I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. That should encourage you. That should make you want to shout. Yeah, but you shouldn't have to shout because I told you to shout. 
You ought to shout because that's what the promise said. Now, let's look at this last piece of this because here's how it all gets sewn together. All right? 2 Corinthians 1.20. 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen. To the glory of God through us. Let's look at that. For all, all, can you say all with me? For all the promises of God that I just read to you in him are yes. They're yes. They're not maybe. They're yes. Now, people get things wrong and they, they, they use this illustration. I'm going to use it tonight to help us understand some people use this statement and they use it wrong. They say, scholars or even say, the last words of Jesus were the words go in Matthew 25. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And a lot of people say that's the true last words of Jesus. Well, I'm going to differ with that. I found something out, saints, and I've got scripture to back it up. That was not the last words that Jesus said. And if, if you look, put Luke 24, 49 on the board. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So the real thing that you need to hear is that God's word was not go because a lot of people want to go, yet they haven't at all stayed long enough to get the promise of God. Now I want you to hear me today. A lot of Christians, they're into the go doctrine. And God is into the wait doctrine. You see the word, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until... Have you know that God, Jesus did not say go first. He said tarry first so that when you go, you go with power. Yes. Yes. Now, really it was the story that we need to look at because he said they'd be filled with the promise of the Holy Ghost. Acts 1.4. Acts 1.4 says it there. He commanded them not to depart, but to wait, and you will be filled. All right? And being assembled together. Okay. Uh, go back, please. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart, not to depart, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to what? Wait. 
put it back on the board, please. But to wait, to wait. How you know God is a God that will speak to you the word wait before he'll speak to you go. Some of you need to hear this. Satan will yell into your ear, go, while Jesus will yell, wait. That's how people get a premature divorce, because they hear the word go. That's how people leave the church, because they hear the word go. And the word go to them, because they thought it was a biblical term, is misused by the enemy when Jesus says over and over and over, wait. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for, come on now, the promise, the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. So he said, don't go yet because you're about to experience the promise from the Father that I guaranteed you would get. How do you understand that? Why do we have to wait? Where, how, why? Let me just take Acts chapter 1, verse 12 to 13. Some of you that like to study, this is a good study by, uh, portion for you right here. Those of you that think you like to study the word, I challenge you, study this. Some of you that want to preach, when I was reading those promises out, saints, I could have preached for five hours on any one of those promises. Hello? Verse 12, Acts 1. Then they returned. What? They returned from Jerusalem. Now, let me just help you right here. We've said that the children of God were in the upper room. That is not the same upper room that they took communion in. Because in communion, there was only room for 12. And in the upper room, there was 120. So this had to be a big room. Now, they were there in the upper room, but they didn't stay there. They were in and out. They it says they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olive, Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day. Now listen what a Sabbath day's journey was. That's about three foot to uh, every step of a man about three foot, and it would take you a, a good eight hours to get there. So they were about eight to 10 hours away, a Sabbath day. So they went to Jerusalem. And, and so you've got to understand there was movement happening. Go on. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room. Now they went into the upper room where there were staying Jane, uh, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of uh, Alephesus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, 
the son of James. Are you getting this? Now, look at this. Luke chapter 24, verse 52. Go back to Luke 24 and verse 52. It says, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Go on. And we're continually, when you see a comma, those of you running the screen, a comma means to keep going. And we're continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Now, I just want to say something to you. They were in the house and they were in the temple. They were in the house and they were in the temple. They were in both of them. Acts 2.46. I'm going to get to it. Don't miss this. Acts 2.46. So continually daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Now notice something. They were eating and fellowshipping with breaking bread in house to house, but they were daily with one accord in the temple. And from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So they were fellowshipping and they were worshiping together. Acts 5.42. You're going to get this. So, and daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease, cease teaching and preaching, preaching Jesus as the Christ. So they were every day, daily, they were in the temple in every house and, and, and they did not cease. Now, you got to know something. This is a period of about 40 days. This is a period of about 40 days. Now, what's the greatest commandment, first of all, what's the greatest commandment that God tells us that we should honor? That we should love one another as we love ourselves, right? And first, we should love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, with all our might, right? So those are the two. First one being love the Lord, and secondly, love your neighbor as yourself, okay? So watch this. And, and the, the, these believers, because they waited for the promise, they were fellowshipping with believers and they were having relationship with God and relationship with each other. That's the word of God for us today, that God says it's time for you to have relationship with him. And then he says you must have relationships with your brother and sister in Christ. We should, why, why, why should we wait for the promise of God? With God and man, maintaining your relationship with God and man is the most important reason they had to wait. Had they had gone like some would like to preach, They'd have gone like a lot of immature Christians and they'd have gone out with no relationship with God and no relationship with their brothers. Maintaining your relationship with God and with man 
is the key, or God's people, is the key to you inheriting the promises of God. A man named Henry Cloud, who's a great scholar, great teacher, when you, I think he's from T Dallas or from Texas. When you land at an airport, what's the first thing you do when you land on the runway? Come on, somebody tell me. What's the first thing you do when you land on the runway? All right, I can't understand. It sounded like you were speaking in tongues. So I'm going to say the first thing I do is I turn my cell phone on. Hello? The first thing I do when the wheels touch the ground is I turn my cell phone on. What does that mean? And what comes up on the screen most of the time, it says searching for connection. Do you know when little Elizabeth popped out of her mommy's womb, do you know what she was yelling? She said, I'm coming out because I'm looking for my God and I'm looking for relationship with my parents. Do you know that God made us that the first thing that we want is we want God and we want relationship with parents and people. So when your cell phone comes up and says, searching <laughs> for connection, you and I need to believe this. They went in the upper room, saints. Listen good. They went in the upper room. They didn't go up there to just, you know, get the Holy Ghost so they could run away. They got the Holy Ghost because it was a promise. And because they waited, they got what God promised. He promised himself, his spirit to be poured out. He promised them he would pour out of his spirit on all flesh. Every human comes out of that womb searching for connection. Now, that's why we wait. Let's find out how do you wait? How do you wait? Acts 1.14. Put it on the board. Acts 1.14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Supplication uh, is that really that fervent request of you releasing a burden. You know, prayer, prayer is you releasing the burden you're carrying to God. Prayer is you releasing the burden you're carrying. So they all continued. Now look at this. This is the group was told to wait, not the group that was told to go. These all continued with one accord. There was unity and prayer. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. Now notice something. Mary was at his birth. Mary was at his death. 
and Mary was at his resurrection. Come on. And it says they all continued in prayer and supplication. And here it is. Prayer is how you transfer your burdens on your heart to God. So unity in prayer is how you wait. If you want the promise of God to come, you have to come together with the brethren. Come on, saints. Your unity will command. I, preach, I just preached this. Your unity will command the blessing of God over your life. So the two things now, we have why you must wait. And two, you must hear this. How do you wait? You wait in prayer. Everything that God will do, he will do through prayer. I, I don't think you believe me, so let me give you something. Now, prayer is important. And I, I want to write this down. Will you put these verses? It's all the book of Acts. Put these on the screen. Acts. I'm not going to say that every time. It's all Acts. 755 through 60. Verse 7, chapter 7, verse 55 through 60. Stephen prayed when he was being persecuted and stoned. 8, 14, and 17, Peter prayed. Oh, my. Peter prayed many times, and, and, and he prayed for the Samaritan. Look at this. Saul of Tarsus prayed. Acts 9, 11. Saul prayed. My, my, my. He was at the street called Straight. He was at the street called Straight, inquired of the house of Judas for one <clears throat> called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. So Saul, who became Paul, even when he was Saul, was praying. He's already met God, but he's, he's there praying. The promises of God are connected to prayer. 9.36-43, Peter, Peter prayed before he raised Dorcas up from the dead. Peter prayed before he raised up Dorcas. Okay, that's, that's uh, uh, Tabitha, that's what it means translated. And uh, 10, Acts 10, 1-4, Cornelius prayed. You know the prayer? Cornelius was praying and God visited him. And then 10.9, Peter prayed and became the answer to Cornelius. The two of them prayed and the promise of God came. Gentiles came into the kingdom. That's how come you are serving God today. Cornelius's prayer and Peter's prayer birthed you. Acts 12, 1 through 11, believers prayed for Peter who was in prison. Acts 13, 1 through 3, fasting and prayer was sent out for Paul and Barnabas. Acts 16, 13 through 14, prayer opened Lydia's heart. 
She was a very successful businesswoman and she was used mightily in her city. Acts 16, 16 through 18, Paul prayed and cast out demons from a young girl. A slave girl was possessed by demons. 20, Acts 20, 36, Paul prayed for his friends. How do you hear that? Paul knelt down and prayed for all of his friends. Acts 27, 35, during the storm, Paul prayed. You know the story. Paul was praying in the storm. You need to learn how to pray in the storm. Acts 28, 8, after the storm, he still prayed. And he healed a sick man. Come on. He prayed before the storm and after the storm. The further we get from prayer, please don't miss this. The further you get from prayer, the further you get from answered promises. I'm going to say it again because some of you are spacing on me because I put out so much scripture. The further we get from prayer, the further we get from answered promises. Luke 3, 21. While he prayed, the Bible says, Jesus, while he prayed, the heavens were open. Have you remember what we preached last Sunday? Anybody there? Do you remember Sunday's message? An open heaven. Jesus prayed and the heavens were open. Acts 4.31. The Holy Spirit comes with boldness because of prayer. Oh, I love this one. Listen to this. The Holy Spirit came on them with great boldness because they were praying. But I love this. Elijah prayed, and he prayed that it would not rain until he told it to rain again. And after he prayed the prayer, he after he made that statement, I'm sorry, after he made that statement, then it says he went and prayed. How do you know you need to make declarations of God and they sometimes have to go before you pray. Because you need to have the faith that what you say is true and will come to pass. Promises from God need prayer to bring it to bear in the earthly realm. Last, why did they have to wait? Ten days. Ten days. Why did they have to wait? Why did they have to wait? Forty days. Why did they have to wait? Why did they have to wait ten days? Why did this happen? Why didn't that happen this way? Some of you will say that on a regular basis. You'll say, why does that happen? 
then you'll say, why didn't this happen? You see, God is teaching us something by waiting. He's teaching you faith. Oh, you got to hear this last piece, saints. This last piece will rock your boat if you're listening. Sometimes he makes us wait because he's building your faith. Lamentations 3.26. Lamentations 3.26. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke of his youth. Now look at this. It's good that you wait. It's good that one has to wait. Hebrews 11.1. 1. And, and, and we know that's the faith. Faith without, you know, faith is the substance thing hoped for. Faith is the substance things hoped for. You're not going to get hope to work till you have to wait. Romans 8, 24 through 25. Romans 8, 24, for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Come on, saints. That scripture absolutely is married to Hebrews chapter 1. We must realize if we, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it. How do you know hope? that you're already seeing what you hope for is not hope at all. So God brings us into a season of waiting for his promise to create faith, to create hope. And if you have everything you want, you have no hope. That's why wealthy people end up backsliding and walking away from God Many times because they have everything they want and they have no need of hope because hope requires them to wait. Why does God make us hope? He's building your faith. God given, God's given you a promise, but you can't handle it until relationships between you and him are settled. The reason you have weight is God could not give you the promises that he's promised you without hope and faith being totally worked into your heart and without relationship with God and relationship with your brother and sister. You couldn't handle the promises of God. You can't. If the promise comes before you have relationships, then you can count on this. They'll steal the relationship. 
If the promise comes before you have relationship, it will steal the relationship from developing. If the power of the promise comes before you're ready, it can destroy you. God says, I promise you, I'm going to bless you and multiply you. Deuteronomy 28. I'm going to multiply. I'm going to increase your fields. I'm going to bless your barns. I'm going to bless your cows and all your sheep. Some of you, God can't do that. Because if he does that, that promise will cause you to walk away from God. Abraham and Sarah had to wait. I mentioned 25 years. Why? They couldn't handle the promise. How do you know that? Because before the 25 years, at 11 years, Sarah got her concubine to have relationship with Abraham to try to help the promise come around. Can you hear that? They had to wait 25 years because they weren't ready. God's building your faith in my faith. You won't fail in the process. Why did God tell them 25 years before the promise came? So their waiting and hoping and faith would be built up to handle all that comes with the promise. How do you know that Abraham being the father of nations? Come on. He's the father of nations. And God said, I can't give you the promise until you've had some time to walk with me. How many of you are listening today? How many you believe that God he doesn't postpone promises. Sometimes they're delayed because you couldn't handle it. But the promises of God are what? Yes. Yes and amen. How many of you know you have enough promises that if you quote one of them every day, you almost have a month for every, uh, a promise for every day of every month? And I can tell you, in the Bible, there's 28 to 30 promises that you could quote every day. You could declare to your own self, I believe the promise of God is yea and amen. But I'm willing to wait so I can build a prayer life, so I can build relationships with you, God, so that I can build relationships with my brothers and sisters. Come on. So I can develop hope. Come on. Have you say, Lord, I thank you that I'm going to build this new house and I'm going to build it out of the promises of God. Thank you for listening to the Rock City Church podcast and a special thank you to all who generously give to our ministries. We're feeding 40,000 families each month through our food program. We're sheltering women in crisis and have had over 1,200 babies born through our girls' home. And we're able to impact countless lives around the world 
through generous givers like you. Tap the link in the description below to give online or visit our giving page at rockcitychurch.com. Our prayer room is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if you need prayer, call our 24-hour prayer line at 410-882-2689. Like and share this message with your friends and subscribe to get the latest messages. You can also join us in service on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Thanks again for listening to the Rock City Church Podcast. God bless you.